Alright guys, thanks so much for being here. Seriously, we've been like prepping for this thing for a long time. We've been blitzing campus hard. And then you showed up, which is awesome. And some of you maybe have been to Salt Company before, like you would consider yourself a part of this thing. Uh, some of you ended up here and you don't really know how. I talked to a lot of people with sort of dazed and confused looks on their faces, like just kind of wandering, no idea what they just walked into. Like you might have gotten gum handed to you, so you showed up. If you encountered me, you might have gotten gum thrown at you because I got bored of handing it, and so I just started chucking it. So maybe that was from me. Uh, maybe you got bombarded with about five freezies or flyers. Maybe you were on a Sasquatch. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and like you guys are excited and almost everybody else is like, wait, what? So, yeah, I said the word Sasquatch hunt. So, earlier in the week, we did a photo scavenger hunt on campus where we were running around campus doing all kinds of crazy stuff. The main part of which was catching a person in a Sasquatch suit, that person being Allie Riddle. Where you at, Allie? <laughs> Greatest Sasquatch ever. I don't really know, like, what the other Sasquatches are, Sasquai, uh, but you were the best, Allie. And, uh, yeah, what's up? Oh, seriously? All right. Well, we tried to get this Madonna mic to work, guys. All right, I'm going to rock this. Can you hear me? You got me? Okay, is that that's better? Okay, all right, we're going to keep rolling. So, Allie in a Sasquatch suit is where we were, if you didn't hear the rest of it. So, Allie is running around campus in a Sasquatch suit, and it's just killer. And if you follow us on social media, you might be asking the question, did the cops show up to that? The answer is yes. Yes, they did, but they liked it, all right? So this is what happened. Allie had just gotten caught in the Sasquatch suit and was in the process of being dragged into a car when two cops saw this and roll around with their lights on and pop out of their vehicles because they think it's a fight. And now I'm in one of the weirdest situations I've ever been in in my life because I'm about to explain to two police officers why there's someone being dragged into a car in a Sasquatch suit. So I'm kind of like, uh, scavenger hunt, scavenger hunt. And they're still like confused because they're looking around like, oh, here's a person in a Sasquatch suit. Here's Mitch in a ghillie suit because why not? Like, I don't know why he was in a ghillie suit, but you're in a Sasquatch hunt. Why not? And yeah, so they turned and they looked and they just laughed and like got back in their car and then Allie booked it out of there, like took her opportunity to get away and got loose. So Maybe you were a part of that. And that's how you ended up here, is where that all came from. But no matter what, like, thanks for being here. You're welcome here. Even you, the person that stole my gum and my monster energy drink. Guys, I was right over here, and I had a box of gum. And, and some girl just rolled up. You might be here. I don't remember what you look like, but I'm calling you out. Some girl rolled up and just took, like, 30 packs of gum and then took my energy drink. And she just walked away. And I called her out, like, hey, are you really doing this? And she's like, yep. And then she just walked away. But she didn't know that I was going to have a mic at this event. And I'm calling you out. But even you, you are welcome here. I forgive you. You owe me a monster. And later when we talk about how messed up we all are, that's, that's especially you. You're kind of messed up. <laughs> but I'm still glad you're here. Okay, the point of this is... No matter how you ended up here, no matter where you're from, no matter what your background is, you can come here, you can belong here. We're pumped that you're here. And here's the deal. We gotta acknowledge this. Some of you, like this is super normal to you what we're doing. Some of you, this is like not normal at all. Maybe you don't have a church background. Maybe this is like the first Christian thing that you've shown up at and, and you came for the pizza and you kind of want to be respectful so you like hung out. And But you don't think this is you. And you've just like, 
walked into something that you feel like you don't belong at, but I want to take the chance and just say, would you just give me a shot? Like, would you just hear me out? Because I want to share with you today a story about Jesus. And, and, and here's the deal. Jesus loved hanging out with non-religious people. And I think you might be surprised, like you might think that this event is like not for you and you might be the exact one that it's for. And so would you just kind of hear that out now? You might be on the other end of that, that spectrum, right? You maybe have grown up in Christian home your whole life. You're like the Bible quiz champion. You, we all know that kid, you know? Okay, so like maybe that's you. And, and you're welcome here too, but I don't want you to assume that you're in. Because maybe your whole life you've kind of assumed that you know what it means to be a Christian or what it means to know Jesus because you've been around Christian stuff. Guys, that was me. And I'm telling you, I had no idea what it meant to be a Christian. And so don't assume. Let's listen into what Jesus has to say. So we're going to look at Luke 7, 36 through 39. So if you want to pull that up on like a Bible app on your phone, if you have one, you can. Otherwise, it's on the screens. If you guys are ever interested in reading the Bible, there's a free app called YouVersion. You can download, you can read the Bible there. But this story is about a very, very religious person who assumes that he knows what Jesus is about and what religion is about, and a very non-religious person who probably thought that she couldn't be on the inside with Jesus. And I want you to see how Jesus responds to both of them. So Luke 7, 36 through 39. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. So a Pharisee was like a super religious person. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house. This is Jesus. Jesus goes into this religious person's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that she was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair uh, of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Okay, so here's the scene. You've got these two people, you've got a lot more than two people, but you've got these two main characters in Jesus. And this is like incredibly awkward, Okay, like I, I, I'm the king of like creating awkwardness. I've got some stories to tell you. If you come back to Salt Company, I find myself in, in situations that no human being ever should. More to come on that. I know awkwardness. Freshmen, you know awkwardness. Some of you walked into the wrong class this week. I'm calling you out. It just happened. It's fine. This is super awkward because here's what's happening is there's God, okay, fairly religious, and then there's a bunch of pastors Pharisees, super religious people. These guys would have had most of the Bible memorized. They, they would have set the pace for kind of what it means to be a religious person. They would have instructed other people on like what it means to know God. So there's this gathering of kind of super holy people. And then there's this woman. And she's called a woman of the city. Now, we don't know exactly what that means. But a lot of people think that she was a prostitute. Okay, so this is what you have, a pastor and all of his friends, and then you have a prostitute. And she just sort of walks into this dinner, 
Like it's fine that she's there and then it gets weirder. You know that whole like socially awkward moment, they try and fix it and it gets worse. That's what this woman is doing. So she walks up to Jesus and she begins to cry on his feet and then wipe them off with her hair. Okay, so imagine you're chilling in like 17th, eating lunch. Somebody rolls up, starts yelling, cries on your feet, and rubs them with their hair. What's going to happen? Everyone's going to stop and stare, right? There's a couple things that were more normal about that then, but it's always been weird to cry on someone's feet. Okay, that was weird then. It's weird now. And so the, the Pharisee is offended. The pastor is offended he can't take it because he can't understand a God who wants to be close to sinners. Because that's what happens when you think that you're really good, is when you see someone that you think isn't, you think that they don't belong there. And when he compares himself to her, he doesn't even think that they're in the same category and he's mad that Jesus is paying attention to her instead of calling her out, instead of kicking her out. And this is one of the things that frustrates me most in life. Is that that understanding of Christianity, that sort of hyper-religious voice that's, that's arrogant, that's sort of self-promoting, that's judgmental and condemning, has become what a lot of you have associated with Christianity. That, that you think what it means to be a Christian or to be involved in Christianity is to have kind of really good people who are following the rules and sort of looking down on everyone else. And I hate that because that's not who Jesus was. That's what I thought for a long time. That's not who he is. And I want you to see that that's not who he is. So verse 44. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who's forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, so, he, so he, he turns to this woman who her family, her friends have rejected her. Everyone in the room is mocking her. She's been pushed out of religious circles because of the screwed up life that she's been living. And Jesus is the only one in the room who's going to address this woman. And Jesus turns to this woman and I think he maybe kind of lifted her up off of her feet and he says, your sins are forgiven. In other words, you're okay with me. And I want you to catch that because that distinguishes Jesus from what a lot of you think about Christianity. And some of you are ticked off about religion in the church because you've heard this sort of condemning, judgmental voice, or maybe you're not mad about it, but you're just not that interested because that kind of rules following doesn't apply to you. It doesn't seem appealing to you. And I want you to catch this. This is what distinguishes Jesus from our typical understanding of Christianity from every other religion in the world. When given the choice between a screwed up sinner and a quote unquote clean religious guy, when choosing who to side with, Jesus picks the prostitute, not the pastor. Why? Because Jesus is drawn not to strength, but to need. The people who Jesus will help are the people who know that they need it. But that's really hard to admit sometimes when you're wrong, 
right? It's hard to own up to the fact that there's some messed up stuff in your life and that you're wrong. And a lot of us want to kind of play that game like it's not true of us. And so when something goes wrong, we get defensive instead of just coming to him with our need. So I I worked in a high school for a year, okay? And I worked in a, a behavior dysfunction classroom, So in other words, they took the kids who struggled in regular classes, they put them all in one room, and then this is how they trained me. I wasn't a teacher, I was like a support in the room, and this is how they trained me. They gave me one hour of training, it was called restraint training, where they taught me how to restrain someone if they attack you. And then they just threw me in the room and they left me there. They just left me in there. I had no experience with any of this stuff before. My first day, a kid threatened to throw a desk at me. Okay, it, it, got, it got very real, but I started to fall in love with those kids. Like, oh, that sounded kind of weird. Like, not, you know, like I just liked them. It was fine. Um, so, so those kids were awesome. And then there was this one kid in particular named Zach. And Zach was this, he was a scrawny kid. He was, he was kind of nerdy. He like kind of hung out to himself. He got picked on a lot. And there was this other kid, Cody. And Cody... Cody didn't really need to be in that room, but he just wanted to be a punk, and so he was a punk. And Cody picked on Zach, and I hated it. But, but like, everybody loved Cody because high schoolers are the worst. I can say that because you're out of high school now. You know it's true. High schoolers are the worst. Okay, anyway, so, so Cody was picking on Zach, and there was this one day in particular that Cody was turning around at his desk, and he was picking on Zach, and I could just see it escalating. And here's what Cody didn't know is that Zach flips a switch, and it gets scary. Like, it's a Hulk moment. You won't like him when when he's angry type thing. And, and so he's like making fun of, of Zach and Zach's holding his pencil because for some reason that's what he used to do when he got mad and he was just staring at it and then he just snapped it and he just looked up at Cody and he threw it down on the ground and my principal was in the room at this moment and then Zach did one of the most baller things like I've ever seen done. He just hauled off and he punched Cody in the face in the middle of class. I don't condone violence to be clear. It wasn't a great decision. But Cody was a bully. Okay, anyway, so Zach hauls off, hits Cody. Cody goes flying back into some desks and everyone in the room just goes, oh, and I forgot I was a teacher for a second. So I just went, oh, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. And then, and then I remembered that I was a teacher. So I went and like grabbed him and separated him. And then I gave Zach knucks on our way out, even though he shouldn't have done it. But it like, like, picked on kids everywhere, like that was their moment, you know, like he represented them. Anyway, so, so I go in to talk to them after this, right? And, and they both had the same situation. This was more Zach's fault, but like it was Cody's fault too. And they had two vastly different reactions. I walked into Cody. This is what he said. I didn't do anything wrong. And he blamed it on Zach. He blamed it on me. He got mad at me. I don't know. I was just there. I don't know why he was mad at me, but he blamed it on everyone else. He didn't take any responsibility and got defensive when we talked to him about it. And because of that, I wasn't able to help him and he actually received like further punishment. I went in to talk to Zach. He was crying, tears in his eyes. He felt super bad. He just apologized and said, yeah, I screwed this up. I'm sorry. And so this is what I did. You're the worst, man. No, that's not what I did. You guys, your heads popped up. Okay, that's not what I did. Right, what did I do? I said, dude, you're good. I got you, man. I want to help you work through this. Why? Because when you humble yourself and you admit that there's something wrong, it produces relationship. 
And because Zach humbled himself, I was able to kind of enter into relationship with him and help him. So let me ask you, are you Cody or are you Zach? Who do you identify with? Because here's what this story is about. This, this story in the Bible is not about a really good person, this pastor, and kind of a messed up person. It's about two messed up people. One of them just owns it and the other one doesn't. And Jesus has vastly different responses to them. And I'm telling you, on this lawn, here's going to be your temptation. You're going to try and divide the world up into two types of people, good people and bad people, or successful people and unsuccessful people. And you're going to define good, or you're going to define success based on what you can achieve. And you're going to kind of look down on other people because that's human nature. But I want to tell you, that's not the two types of people there are on this lawn. There's just people that will own that they're broken and in need and need Jesus and those who won't. Do you think that you need Jesus? So there's two ways to think that you don't need Jesus. The first one is to live however you want. So some of you, you're going to leave here, you're going to go get hammered. You're going to live whatever life you want to live, right? Because you came to college for the college experience. So you're going to go have yourself some fun. And this is what I, what I want you to know, is that in that you're chasing something. You want significance, you want meaning in your life, you want something that'll make you happy or give you joy. And I don't know where you're going to look for it, but you'll look for it in something. You'll look for it in the girl. You'll look for it in the parties. You'll look for it in the relationship. You'll look for it in the school. You'll look for it in the job or the internship or the success. You'll look for it in something, but I got to tell you, it's going to fail you. Like, how's that been to this point? You've been chasing that? Is your life, like, are you just satisfied? Are you good forever? Like, are you totally joyful? No, it's going to let you down. You're going to have the hangover after the party. The girl's going to ditch you. The guy's going to cheat on you. Something's going to go wrong. And in that moment, you're going to know your need. And look, not all of you are going to be involved in Salt Company, but I want to tell you that when you hit that moment in your life, you can come back. You can come back, and if you admit your need, Jesus is going to be waiting for you, and you're welcome back at Salt Company anytime. But there's a second way to not admit that you need Jesus, and it's to try to be really, really good, and sometimes really, really religious. And some of you have spent your life trying to be impressive, trying to be good, trying to create an image for yourself. And, and when something goes wrong, you point the finger at someone else or something else, right? It's, it's those people out there that are really screwed up. Or, or my life isn't good right now because my job sucks or, or school's hard or like my friends ditch me or whatever that is. But you point the finger somewhere else. But here's the deal. If you think really highly of yourself, you'll never think highly of Jesus because you won't think that you ever need him. And guys, you know what I've figured out through a lifetime of trying to go that route? You know what the problem with the world is? The problem with my life is, it's me. I'm proud. I can be self-righteous. I'm insecure. I'm weak. I lack self-control. I struggle to do the stuff that I preach from stage. I'm the problem. You're the problem. And some of you here might be so full of yourself that you actually think that you're awesome. There's some in every crowd. On basketball courts, they're the dudes wearing the headbands, the sweatbands, and the high socks. There's some of you in this crowd. But my guess is that most of you know, if you're honest with yourself, that you're pretty screwed up.
that you're weak, that you're insecure, that you don't know where you're going with your life, you're kind of drifting through stuff, and that you need something bigger than you, you need something more than you to add to your life. And this is what I want you to know, that just like that woman, that if you own your need, Jesus will love you. Even if you've fallen short of him, you can't out his grace. He wants relationship with you. Look, this is what Jesus did. Jesus could have pointed the finger, right? He, he never did anything wrong. He could have sat in heaven and pointed the finger at you and said, you're the problem, but he refused to do that. So you know what he did and said? He came down to get you to have relationship with you. That's why the cross is so important. Is, is because Jesus came and he related to your weakness and to your brokenness. So when you feel alone, Jesus knows what it's like to feel alone because on that cross, he was separated from his father. When you feel weak and insecure and inadequate, Jesus is strong, but he can relate to you because of, of what he went through in that moment where he humbled himself. Philippians says that he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And when you're sinful, when you're broken, when you're messed up, Jesus has never been messed up like that, but he can relate to you in that because on the cross, he took on your sin. This is crazy. This was Jesus's plan for how to save you. So sin causes brokenness in relationship, right? If you're in a relationship with someone and you cheat on them and they find out that relationship is gonna be broken, sin is cheating on God. You cause brokenness in that relationship, but this is what Jesus did. He hung up on the cross and he said, hey, I wanna trade you. I'll take your consequences for your sin, your broken record. I'll pay the price for it so that you don't ever have to. And then he just gives you his perfect record so that when now when God sees you, he just sees Jesus's perfection if you trust him. That's a crazy deal. And that's why Jesus is so awesome and so amazing. And here's what that means, that you can be honest about exactly who you are and you can be loved. The solution to your problem is not some better future version of you. It's finding someone who will see you in all of your weakness and all of your pain and all of your sin and all of your failures and who will love you anyway to see you for exactly who you are and to love you anyway. No matter how far gone you are, you never can be too far gone from him. And no matter how good you are, you never can impress him. And so the only solution is you just come to him in your need. And what I love about this story is at the end, when they see this crazy God, this crazy grace, they ask a question, who the heck is this guy? Like who just offers to forgive, who sides with the, the prostitute instead of the pastor? Who does something like that? And look, even if you never come back to Saul Company, I want you to consider this question, who do you say that Jesus is? Because it's the most important question that you'll ever ask in your life. You'll be tempted to think that it's who are your friends gonna be? How are you gonna get through school? A bunch of other stuff. The most important question in your life is who is Jesus Christ? He's changed the world. He's changed people on this lawn. You have to deal with him. Who do you say that he is? Guys, for a long time, I thought that I had the answer to that question. I grew up in a Christian home. I thought I was a pretty good kid and I thought the way to God was through being pretty good. But here was the problem, no matter how good I was, there was always a little bit more that I could have done and I never knew if it was enough. And I didn't know that I needed Jesus because I thought that I could be fine on my own. Until some stuff changed in my life and life got a little bit harder. 
so I actually became a Christian on this campus, but it was before college. My, my dad actually was in the, the hospitals right over here on campus, which I know we're getting real, okay, but this is part of my story. He was in the hospitals right over here on this campus. He was really sick. And in that stretch, I considered atheism because I was mad at God and I almost went the atheistic route. I considered other religions because I needed an answer for something, but I kept coming back to this Christianity thing because it was the only God that claimed to really empathize with me in my pain. And my dad ended up passing away, but it ended up being one of the, the best, greatest things that's ever happened to me in my life, which I know sounds weird, but here's why. It's because through that, I figured out that I needed Jesus and he's the best part about my life. And I don't know if I would have known him if I didn't get to walk through that. And so it was actually somewhere on this campus. I just wandered around that night, found a park bench somewhere. And I just told Jesus, look, I've got nothing left. I need you. And I called myself a Christian my entire life. I had done Christian stuff my whole life. Everybody else had called me a Christian, but I had no idea who God was until that moment when I was broken and I needed him and I gave up control of my own life and I just said, Jesus, you're the only one that can help me. And he saved me and he's changed my life ever since. Have you met him? Do you know him? What do you say about him? And here's what I can tell you. There's a bunch of people around on this lawn who sat at this event last year and they didn't know him and now they do. And they're sitting next to you because Jesus has transformed their life and he's better than they ever could have imagined. And I know they want to tell you those stories. I know Jesus is real for a lot of reasons, but the main reason is because I've seen him transform lives. Some of you in the crowd and he's transformed my own. Who is Jesus to you? If you want to seriously investigate that question, if you actually think is worth it, Salt Company is the place for you. We'd love to invite you in to ask that question with us because Jesus is what we're about. We're not awesome. Don't be impressed by the stage, the sound, the lights, the whatever. Be impressed by him because he's who we've found and he's what we're about. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for coming into my life. I was such a punk before I know you. I'm still kind of a punk. Um, but I thought I had it on my own and I didn't. And so thanks for letting me go through some hard stuff so that I would acknowledge my need for you. And I pray that people on this lawn tonight would figure that out, that they need you, that they, they wouldn't be proud and self-dependent. But in this moment, they would just go, yeah, I need some help in life. And that they would come to you. And Jesus, would this place, uh, would this ministry be a place where you're the centerpiece of everything that we do? And I'm excited to see you change lives this year. And would you help us to be a preserving influence in this world? Would this campus be a better place because we're here, not because of who we are, but because of who you are? We want to introduce people to you because we think you're awesome, Jesus. And we think you matter for our lives now. And so as we sing a couple more songs to you. Uh, God, help us to, yeah, to see how awesome you are. We love you. Amen.